This podcast is produced by Visionary Studios. Hey everyone, I'm Mitchell Rail, and welcome back to Let's Unpack That. Today, I'm so excited to be joined by two queer changemakers who are making such an impact, Andrew Hartzler and Tyler Johnson. Welcome, let's unpack that. Andrew, it is great to have you back here. You were here about a year ago um, talking about your Aunt Vicky and and all of that. What's new? What is the status on Aunt Vicky, your family? So not a lot has happened in terms of like my Aunt Vicky and all the drama that happened for about like four weeks following all of mm-hmm. like her crying on the house floor on my TikTok. But something like kind of big that happened after it was my cousin, like uninvited me from her wedding. And then, yeah, it just kind of created like a rift in the family, which was expected. But I live in Kansas City now. So since I moved back there about two months ago, my goal was to rekindle some of those relationships, which I'm ultimately in the midst of that's awesome that's awesome and i look forward to like hoping that continues to develop and you're able to mend those fences speaking of of your family and your parents i believe it was this past summer you posted a tiktok um of security footage that you had (laughs) hidden cameras of them or i think it was your, your dad trying to exercise the demonic energy from your room that was turning you gay and making you this horrible person Take us back to that. Like, what was that like? How did you end up putting security cameras up? And is there more footage? So that was actually, like, several years ago. Um, I believe it was, like, 2019. It was over Christmas when I was, like, in college. And, like, because I was... I came out at a young age, at the age of 14. And I was, like, forced back into the closet because, like, being forced into conversion therapy. So like for my own survival and sanity, I told my parents like what they wanted to hear. Um, and then I went to ORU and I, for those that like don't know, Oral Roberts University is like a very conservative evangelical Christian school where it's not okay to be gay. So I was back in the closet and like, because I didn't know anyone going into that school, I didn't have like people that I can, could confide in. So I had to like, live a lie, not really, or live a lie to other people and to myself where it just became such a toxic environment that it was like deteriorating me. Mm. Over Christmas of my sophomore year, I told my parents that like, Hey, I've been gay all this time. There's no changing me. Um, and they freaked out. (laughs) They had a really bad reaction and I figured that they were going to do something. Um, so over Christmas, there was like a sale on Amazon Blink cameras, like five for a hundred dollars. So I ordered them and I put them up all around my room and my closet and expected my parents to be like rummaging through my stuff to like try and find some like artifact that was like keeping me gay. And like, sure enough, a month or two later, I see this guy, John Jacobs, who he is like someone who started the like Christian power team that like goes into churches and will like tear phone books apart with like their muscles and say it's like God's strength. Um, oh, and it's, like, like, he like came <laughs> to the church that my parents were going to. And I guess my dad was just like so impressed with him that my father like hired him to come back to like 
Kansas City. And the, like you said, exercise the demons, whatever was happening in that video, honestly, it was just, it was a performance mm-hmm. on John Jacob's part. Um, I'm sure like my parents gave them like his ministry, a very large donation. So he was just playing the part, but he did believe what he was doing was helping, which is the sad part. I'm glad that you shared that. Like, I think it's just, it's really important thing for people to see this very often untold story. I, I think so many folks, both myself and others, are so appreciative of your continued like advocacy and ability to speak up and make your voice heard. I think it's really important. So thank you for doing that, yeah. Andrew. I think it's so, like you said, important for people to realize that there are these like religious extremists and like mm-hmm. Christian nationalists really that are imposing their own beliefs on everyone, regardless of what those people believe in having like real world harm. Well, thank you, Andrew. Um, and so happy to have you here again. Uh, but new to Let's Unpack That today, Tyler Johnson. Hi. Welcome to the pod. Thanks for having me. Yeah, of course. So tell us, for those who maybe haven't seen you before, who is Tyler Johnson? Where are you from? How did you get here today? Yeah, for sure. So growing up, I lived in West Virginia until I was like 15 years old. And then my mom and I moved to New York, just her and I. And I kind of viewed this as like a fresh start for me. So I really decided that I was going to come out right before I moved to New York. It was like two weeks before I left. And I actually did it in like a very interesting way. I didn't want it to be this like super like, I don't know, sad type of environment where um, my nerves would just get like more worked up and like it would just, you know, become this negative situation for me. So I was with uh, two really close people and I was like, let's make like a poster board. You know, like the things, like the promposal things where people would do like candy bars and like spell out things and like ask people to like go to prom with them. So I did that, but to tell my mom that I was gay and I put like a bunch of candy bars together and like basically spelled it out. I only planned on coming out to my mom that night, but then within like the same hour, I came out to my entire immediate family. I think the reason I did it is because the reaction that I got from my mom and how supportive she was made me like just feel like I could tell everyone else. So I remember calling basically everyone. My brother was like, I actually did it outside for some reason because like my brother was inside and I didn't want him to know that I was gay. So I didn't want him to like see me come out to my mom. So I made her like come outside on the front porch so that I could tell her that I was gay. I ended up calling like basically everyone in like group chats and like just different family members and my dad. And a few people were very like accepting, but I grew up in a very religious environment. My parents themselves weren't super religious, but the rest of my family were largely religious and pretty conservative. Mm-hmm. I mean, growing up, like, I can vividly remember in, like, the 2016 election, I was, like, 12. Uh, That's crazy. <laughs> and, like, my family, like, all of them were like, oh, yes, like, go Trump. So, like, I was like, oh, yes, go Trump. Because, like, I was 12. I was following, like, my family's political beliefs. Mm-hmm. I was, like, kind of starting to realize then that I was gay or that at least I was different from the people around me. From there, I think things, like, started to shift for me. And I was really, I started to get, like, scared, I think. Um, I would go to church like twice a week, uh, Sunday and Wednesday was always there. And I would actually sing in church like weekly on Wednesdays. I would always like start by singing and then you're like a secretly, like a amazing singer. Oh God, no. Oh, okay. There was like 20 people at this church. They just didn't have anyone else to sing. (laughs) Okay. So going there weekly, like I was, you know, taught like, oh, being gay is wrong. Oh, you're going to hell. Like, you know, all the things that were always told growing up in religious environments Mm -hmm. and the town that I lived in was so small that like everyone knew everyone and everyone kind of believed the same. It was like an echo chamber of, you know, the same type of beliefs. And 
a lot of that, like, I, I just internalized most of it. So I started like to get super depressed and my anxiety got really, really bad. And I vividly remember one time sitting in church and someone's family member had come out as bisexual. And at this point I like just learned what that meant. So, and I just realized that like I was gay not too long before this. So they were doing like prayer requests for people in church. And someone was like, oh, pray for like so-and-so's son or someone because they just came out as bi. And being someone that's like just realizing that they're part of that same community as that person and then like hearing them pray for them in church because they think something is wrong with them and like seeing people like shake their heads like was a very much like a defining moment that I couldn't be who I was in that environment. So I just kind of kept it in and tried doing whatever I could. You know, I had girlfriends or like I just did everything I could to keep it down. Mm -hmm. And eventually it started to take such a toll on me that the, you know, physical symptoms of that the anxiety and depression just really started to like show up. And that was a good period of time from the time that I was in like my sixth grade year of middle school to like my freshman year of high school where I was in and out of the hospital, like weekly sometimes. Um, like everyone in the emergency room knew my name because I was there so often. Mm -hmm. And I ended up actually having two surgeries because of this. And then I had to get pulled out of school and like all kinds of things because I was just like so physically sick. And once I came out, it like all went away. Like I, I have not been sick because of that like anymore. Wow. And so I don't know. It's always been like a strong testament to me about how serious like anxiety and depression can really like affect your life, especially like physically. And like, I think a lot of people don't really understand that. Mm -hmm. So that was like a really shortened version of kind of where all of that started for me. And then when I moved to New York, I had, I was, you know, freshly out and I wanted it to be a fresh start. I wasn't around those environments. And then I moved to a very, very small rural town in New York where it was like not the same environment, but pretty similar. And your family moved. Yeah, it was just my mom and I. Okay. Um, so my mom got remarried and okay. we moved to New York uh, with my stepdad. And that was that. The rest of my family was back home in West Virginia. And so I, that's kind of, I think that's why I did it. Because I was like, if I come out to them now and none of them, you know, agree or like accept me, like, which is what I thought was going to happen, then I would never have to see them again. Like mm. if they didn't want me around, then I'm, I'm moving like so far away that it doesn't really matter. How and, old are you? I was 15. Okay. So I moved there over the summer. It was in June. And I didn't have any friends when I got there. And then I started school, didn't know anyone on the first day. It was literally just like me all by myself. And then I started to make friends pretty quickly. But it was interesting because I'd never been in a school setting where I had, where I could be like myself and like be openly gay. Mm -hmm. But I, there was still something in me that didn't want to like say that I was gay. But if people asked me, like I wouldn't be like, I wouldn't say no. But I wasn't just like openly like on social media or anything like that. And it just gradually got better, I think. I was a sophomore then, and that was like right before COVID happened. So in like March, I think is like when I really started to become very open with myself. Like once I had a lot of time to like reflect during COVID when we were like quarantined, um, I became very open publicly. And that's what also when I started getting like more politically involved, I would say, in the height of like the Black Lives Matter protests, I really started to get involved. And then I think that just kind of spiraled into like the things that I do now. But it was very different because pretty much no one else in my family believes the same way that I do. And it was like kind of scary going out against everything that I'd been taught my entire life. I mean, I feel like you could probably like resonate with that. Like it's, yeah. it's 
a very interesting jump to go from like one side to the other, especially when like everyone else around you is not the same way. And what do you feel like was the trigger that made you decide that like you had to go against what you were told to believe? I think when I started to realize like how important it was to say something when things were wrong, like for me, I remember having a conversation with my dad once because like there was something happening within like the queer community when I was 15, like right before I came out. And he was like, I don't know why you care so much. Like, I don't know why you're being so outspoken about this. And it was because I was gay, but like no one knew that yet. So I think people not realizing why people need to be outspoken just like kind of made me want to be outspoken more to kind of show people like why it's so important. And I think that I still like hold that conversation that I had with him and like use it to kind of fuel me to continue doing the work that I do. I mean, I've had very interesting conversations with people in my family, like telling me that I'm going to hell or like someone literally like looked at me and said that I'm going to burn in the fiery pits of hell. What do you think that your family's beliefs are rooted in? Is it rooted in religion or is it just political beliefs being handed down or? I think it's like a mix of both. There are people in my family who are much more religious than other people in my family but still kind of believe the same. And I think it's because of that political belief, mm. but also the culture that they grow up in. Growing up in West Virginia is not an easy place to grow up when you're gay. And even myself, like I was influenced by those same political beliefs and those same religious beliefs that they had. Mm-hmm. Like I believe the same things that they did at one point where I thought like gay people were wrong and like all of these things. And then when I started to realize that I was gay, but like even before I realized I was gay, I was like, what's so wrong with like people just loving someone else? And I think that a lot of it is religion, but there's such a majority of my family that doesn't like go to church as much as they used to, but, but still feel the same way about certain things because of like political ideologies. And if they only hear that one narrative right. always, yeah. yeah, and they don't even welcome or get the opportunity to be uh, yeah. exposed to a different viewpoint. I'm pretty much one of the only people in my family that I've ever been like, no, like you're wrong. And like now, I don't care to do it. Like I will literally yell at anyone at this point. Yeah, that's so. Shit. <laughs> that's how you change hearts and minds. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Now that you're out in high school, what is your involvement in the gay community like? Are you going on dates? Are you talking to boys? Yeah. What is your life like? So it took me kind of a while to really get comfortable in that space and like really like shifting into my queer identity. I think I, for a while, like wasn't really hiding it, but I wasn't like you know like I am now. And then I was all of a sudden and everyone knew and, you know, I ended up joining the track team and like a lot of my friends were now guys, which was really weird because like growing up my entire life, they were all girls. So I then started to kind of like realize that the people around me aren't like the people who used to be around me. So I started to definitely feel more comfortable with who I was. And then, you know, I did start talking to boys and then, you know, I, I had dates and then like I had a boyfriend and you know, he would be around some, like, my guy friends, and it was just not something that I ever saw myself, or not a space I ever saw myself being in, where, like, I could coexist with those types of people that were different than me, because those types of people always hated me growing up. Did um, you find that your peers were accepting of your identity? A decent amount, but I feel like just because of the location and, like, how small the school was, and being the new kid in that moment, um, you could look at me and, and tell I was gay. So it was, like, kind of like a spotlight that I'd been put under, like going right into a new setting. Like I remember on the first day of school, I had like above the knee jorts and like my converse. And like, it was very obvious that I was gay, like in that moment. And I think like that was my first like moment of like stepping into who I was. And then 
most of them were accepting for a really long time. And there were obviously the ones that weren't, but I never had any direct issues with people up until my senior year. So tell us what happened during your senior year of high school. Leading up to my senior year, everything was perfect. You know, I had a great group of friends. I was on the track team my junior year. I was, you know, involved. Um, I was in programs that I enjoyed. I was, I worked in a local coffee shop. So like people around town knew me and it was a great environment. And I, and I loved the new place that I lived. And it was interesting because I never had a problem with any, with any like student at the school. And then we had a new principal that was hired that year and they had this thing called a senior spotlight, which was basically like a magazine that goes out to the entire school community and they select two seniors a month to be part of this magazine and they called it senior spotlight and they would ask you questions about like you know your future goals and like where you want to go to school or um like even personal questions like if you could sit down and have dinner with someone who's passed away like who would it be and why and one of the questions they asked me was what's the biggest challenge you face and how did you overcome it so me growing up in west virginia dealing with all the things that I dealt with and like the bullying that I went through that led to all of those like medical issues that I had. I said that growing up gay and coming out and having to navigate, you know, my sexuality and also navigate bullying and things like that was definitely one of the most challenging things I'd gone through. And that was right before like winter break. And I come back right after winter break and I get called into the principal's office and he's like, so basically you can't say that you're gay in your response. You can leave everything else in, but you either have to rewrite your answer completely or we'll take it out. Okay. So I respond. I, I was kind of like taken back by it because I was like, I don't really understand why. And he quoted some policy that the school says you couldn't talk about like religion. And this was a public school. Yeah. Uh, they said that you couldn't talk about religion, sexuality, sexual orientation, or drugs. That was like the way that they worded it. In any school materials. And specifically, he said like specifically this, um, like senior spotlight situation. So, which we find out later that that policy was completely made up, like on the spot that it never existed. Um, and I responded by saying that if I couldn't talk about my sexuality or I couldn't talk about who I was in a space that was like meant to highlight who I was, then I didn't want to be part of the spotlight at all. Yeah. So I basically like withdrew from it and he was like, that's not what we want. Like you're such a positive light in these hallways and like, you know, all of these things. And I was like, okay, if you love who I am so much and like you want to feature me in this and like, why are you trying to like silence who I am as a person? Yeah. So I said that and then I was so upset. So I, my mom worked like a mile away from my school. So I called her and was like, I need you to sign me out. Like call them, tell them that I'm leaving. So mind you, it's January in upstate New York. It is cold. We just got through a snowstorm. And so she calls like me out of school and I walked to her office like through the snow and I tell her what happens. And my mom is not someone who is scared to talk about how she feels. So she immediately called the school and asked me to put on the phone with the principal. And I was sure that she was going to like let him have it. And like it was going to be a very bad day. Um, and then when she talked to him, she like asked him what happened. And he basically told her the exact same thing that he told me about like the policy and all of these things like that. Um, and my mom was like, you know, very upset with him. And she was like, he'll give you his answer. Like, tomorrow because I guess he was like trying to convince her to like have me do it and she was like well I'm not going to tell him that he has to do something that he doesn't want to do she was like I told him that you would tell him your final answer tomorrow so I, instead I called him then and I was like my mom talked to you she said that I would tell you tomorrow 
but I'm going to tell you now that I still don't want to be part of the spotlight. What um, did they want to spotlight you as instead? Like, what did they want it to say? They didn't want any mention of my sexuality okay. at all. He said that I could leave, like, um, the part about me being bullied and all of those things, and that the rest of my answers were really good, that I just couldn't talk about my sexuality. Okay. So I told him that I'm not going to be put in a space where I can't be fully who I am, and that me saying that in that space where, like, other students on on that campus who, you know, couldn't be who they are or are scared to be who they are because of the environment they live in could read that and, like, you know, that make them feel, you know, better about who they are or, like, empower them to be more themselves and that he took that away from them by saying that I couldn't do that. Okay. So, so I told them that I didn't want to do it. And then that night I decided it was, like, a Thursday evening. It was, like, 6 p.m. I was, like, I'm going to make a TikTok, like, a little story time about what happened. So I did. And... I made it at like 6 or 7 p.m. I woke up the next morning and had like 30,000 views. And at this point, it was like the most viewed TikTok that I'd ever had because um, I never really posted that much. And I never posted about like really political ideas that much. So I, I talked about this. And by the time I woke up, like I had lawyers commenting on my TikTok or like sending me DMs. I had like reporters and writers texting me. And it was very interesting because like it's not what I expected. I didn't expect the TikTok to go anywhere. I was literally just making it to make it. Mm -hmm. By the next day, I got into school. I went in late, and everyone knew what had happened. Like, everyone in my school had seen the video. All the teachers had seen the video. All the administrators had seen the video. Um, there was a social worker at my school who I loved so much. Like, if it wasn't for her, I don't think I would have gotten through the situation. I was in her office every single day having a conversation. So the first place I went when I got to school that day was to her office. And... Um, we're sitting there, we're talking about everything, and she gets a phone call from the office, like the principal's office, that they want me to go there. So um, she went there with me because I didn't really want to like be alone in the situation. And uh, we were having a conversation, and he was like, so we decided we were going to include your response. Um, and like we like are reversing our decision, basically. But it was funny because the day that I told them that I wasn't going to be part of it, they had already reached out to another person saying that I withdrew and asked if they wanted to be in the senior spotlight instead. But funny enough, it was one of my friends who knew what had happened, mm. who was, was also, also gay. gay. Yeah. Um, but no one knew that he was gay. And so he knew what happened. And like, I mean, he, he said yes. Cause like at this point I wasn't going to be part of it. Mm -hmm. And then they ended up, this was supposed to be like in the, I think it was in the January edition that it was supposed to go out. So, I was now told that I could be put in, but it was going to be in the next edition instead. And How often was this thing being It was monthly. Okay. So, so instead so of being in the January, they were going to put me in February because they had already asked the new person to fill my spot because I had all of a sudden dropped out. Yeah. Once they decided that they were going to put me back in with no edits to my question, I was like, great, you know, perfect. But at this point, the story had been shared. It, the The train was on the tracks and... I had already had an interview that day after school with the Los Angeles Blade. It was like my first interview ever. And I told him that. Um, I was like, I know you've seen the video. Obviously, it has like 30,000 views at this point. You're, I'm in your office. You're telling me that I'm being refeatured. And I know that I, if I wouldn't have made that video, I'm almost certain that there's no reason for them that they would have put me back in. Mm -hmm. um, so once I told him that, I was like, you know, I'm not going to 
bash the school necessarily, but like, I think it's important to like share this story because so many people go through these same types of situations Mm -hmm. and schools are supposed to be environments where kids can be freely open who they are. And like, it's supposed to be a place of like learning and, you know, finding out who you are and discovering yourself. And by telling someone that they can't do that, it's just very harmful. So I went through with the interview after school that day. And I think the article that was on a Friday, the article went out on a Sunday Mm -hmm. and by like Monday morning, the article had like a lot of reads and every local news station in my area had an interview with me. So I remember going to school. My mom signed me out of school and I had like an interview at three, an interview at four, an interview at 4.30, an interview at five, an interview at 6.30. And like that night when it was time for like the local news at like 6.30 or whatever time it goes on every night, my story went live. And everyone locally now knew what was happening. So my school called in an emergency school board meeting. Um, <laughs> well, and you really are the main character I here. Know, I know. <laughs> and they were like, so we're going to call in a, an emergency school board meeting. And we're going to go into an executive session pretty much immediately. So no public would be, no one like from the public would be allowed into the meeting. Yeah. 30 to 50 of us showed up. We walk into the building and they close the doors uh, as soon as the meeting starts and everyone brought posters and signs that people had like their flags and we're standing in the hallway and then they kick everyone outside. Like they make everyone go outside. Mind you, it's like 20 degrees. We just got through a snowstorm. There's ice everywhere. My mom had actually just torn her ACL. So she's literally on crutches outside of the school board meeting, standing with us. And we stand out there for like two hours until the school board meeting, school board meeting is over. And when, like, the superintendent walks out, like, people are yelling at him to resign as he's going to his car. And, like, the news was there and, like, videoing the whole thing. And I don't really know, like, what happened in that meeting. No one really does. But not long after that, the people in, like, my community and, like, in the town received it all, like, pretty well. There was, like, a community Zoom call where, like... This is my senior year of high school. So this is 2022. Okay. So literally like last year. Okay. Um, And we found out that this wasn't the first time that this had happened. Mm -hmm. So there was a school social worker who was hired at the elementary school to um, just like, I don't know, he was just a new position. So he got hired and they do the same type of spotlight situation for like new hires. And they ask like different questions about your life and like, you know, why you work here and like why, you, why you're in the profession that you're in. And they asked, a, they asked a question about like his family. So he said, you know, I live in wherever with my husband. And they were like, you actually can't talk about your husband because there are people on the school board who don't agree with your sexuality. And we found this out during this meeting. And then this social worker um, announced that he was resigning from the school because of it. Because he was saying that, like, after that happened to him, his worry was that it would happen to a student. But he was apologized to by the superintendent and that it felt sincere that, you know, the words he what he was saying actually meant something, that he was actually sorry for doing it and realized that it was wrong. But that once it happened to me, he knew that it was just basically like him blowing smoke. So he resigned and stopped working there. My town, someone in my town um, created a Facebook page called Time for Change Tully, which was a town that I lived in. It just became this like outlet for people to, you know, talk about my situation in ways that, you know, we could, you know, 
try to fix it mm-hmm. um, and just make the school environment better because I wasn't the only person that had dealt with something negative in the school environment. Yeah. Um, there had been, you know, racism and all kinds of situations. So I remember the first school board meeting, the first public school board meeting after this happened, there were like 80 people there. And there's never more than 10. Wow. And the news came and live streamed the school board meeting, which is probably like the biggest thing that's ever happened in that town. <laughs> uh, actually, actually, once Obama, Obama came, came to my school and played soccer. But we were all in this meeting and I went up and like, you know, gave a public comment about everything that had happened. And like, so did like 30 other people. And little did we know there was um, like an undercover investigator from the New York State Division of Human Rights that was there. And he came up to my family and I afterwards and um, was talking to us about the entire situation and like ways that we could report it as like a Title IX violation and like, you know, discrimination, um, which then led to me going into a lawsuit against my high school. It's really cool how like your, like you speaking out against the injustice that you faced with like the spotlight and it sparked like that Facebook page, people showing up in droves to the school board meeting. I think it's really like, like that can happen anywhere. It just takes someone to stand up. Well, yeah. And I think it's like the idea that, you know, you're never alone in your situation. And even if like your situation is different from the person next to you, like there's so many things that overlap. So, you know, people that were going up and speaking were talking about so many issues they have within our school because of the exact same administration that was still in place. After the lawsuit, to your awareness, has there been changes made in the school district? Yeah, even a little bit before the lawsuit, I kind of never let up. When I, I only had six months left, so I was like, I have nothing to lose. Like, I have six months left here, and then I'm leaving. Mm-hmm. The least I could do is try to make it a better place for the people that are coming after me. Um, the GSA had never been established in the school before um, because it kept getting voted against by the school board. Um, it was then approved like a month after all of this happened for me. We also had like some pretty conservative school board members and we ended up holding an election and got three of them voted out. And the school board president that had been there for 12 years, we had her voted out when we got like three new progressive candidates in that were you know, instrumental in, you know, creating the Facebook page and like bringing people out to these school board meetings and, you know, giving public comments. And there was one school board member in particular that would comb through every single code of conduct that the school had to find like, you know, discrepancies between what they were saying and what they were doing. And so we got like great new people elected and then they started a diversity, equity and inclusion committee. And most committees on the school had like, you know, a certain amount of number of people that could be in them, but they left this one completely open. So there were community members, there were students, there were um, faculty members that were on this committee that would meet to, you know, try to make the school more diverse and more equitable for people. So that was something that very big, I feel like that happened, um, along with, you know, getting new people elected. And, you know, I've heard that things have gotten better, like in terms of like the environment, um, a very big win moment or it felt like a win moment for me was last year, um, there was a spotlight sent to me that someone had done that year who were talking and they were talking about being transgender. So it was like a very nice moment to see that, you know, a year ago when I couldn't even talk about being gay and, and talking about myself that now people are able to talk about who they are. So that was a very nice transition. That's so, yeah, it's, it's incredible, truly. And I think this is a great example for those listening that 
it can be so easy to say nothing and just suck it up and be like, oh, this is how it is. Like, yeah. I, you know, I can't do that. But just by saying something and by not stepping or not letting up to the pressure or to negativity, you can have such a lasting impact on yeah. the future and the community. So that's really great, Tyler. When did you two meet in relation to this? It's so, like, like, on our timeline that we have here, yeah. <laughs> you graduated in 22, yeah. and then we met in February. 23. We met at the Creating Change um, conference that was put on by the National LGBTQ Task Force, which I learned recently that the National LGBTQ Task Force was put together like back in the 80s, in like the mid early 80s, when it was it was actually a group of like LGBTQ leaders and like spiritual leaders, like pastors, members of clergy came together mm-hmm. and was like, okay, we need a, a group that will organize this and thus became the National LGBT Task Force. Oh, I didn't know that. I remember the um when we were at the conference, the portraits of like Jesus on the cross that they had around. Oh yeah. 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 Makes sense now. Um I was presenting at the conference. Okay, so were you presenting about your story or um, a little. I was, I was presenting about like the importance of the importance that local organizing has on like um, national organizing and the influences that it can have. So, where do you two cross paths at this conference, and what's that initial interaction like? So the conference is set up so it has like different day long institutes like racial equity, disability rights, um, or like general equality and justices or justice that you can focus on. And one of them was youth organizing, like youth activism. Mm -hmm. So I, these day long institutes are set up where you like go from like 9am to like 4pm. And I was like, okay, I'll hop around to a few. So I walk in on this one at like the middle of the afternoon before it's over. And then I see Tyler, like followed him on Instagram, had him on snap. And then I see like a few months later, Tyler's like leading protests at his university i'm like okay oh, well, yeah. what's this guy got going on this is cool i'm always stirring up some drama <laughs> i love to stir the pot i love to stir the pot so you're you're in college you graduate yeah how are you starting to get involved on campus my like involvement in organizing picked up over the summer right after i graduated so i remember like after the supreme court overturned roe v wade I organized the fourth this Fourth of July protest against the Supreme Court because I was like, what better way to like protest the government than on the Fourth of July? Yeah. So we were in Syracuse, New York, and I um, at first it was supposed to just be a rally. We were going to have speakers, we were going to stand up, and we were going to talk. But then it grew, and like we uh, combined with another group that was planning something. So and it was originally just going to be talking about like Roe v. Wade because I'd already um, like been involved in a few other like protests around Roe v. Wade before it was overturned just talking about like the importance of keeping it there mm-hmm. and also the implications that it would have on like different things like privacy and stuff like that. So we organized this and we kind of shifted the focus from just that to talk about, you know, voting rights that are at stake and indigenous rights that are at stake and, you know, the LGBTQ rights that are at stake with marriage equality being a topic of conversation again. So we had speakers from all different backgrounds come and do this rally, but we turned it into a march as well. So we marched like a few blocks all the way around and then went to the federal building in Syracuse on the 4th of July and I think that was the biggest thing I've ever organized. There were hundreds of people there. And, you know, I'd never thought that I could, you know, organize something of that size. And then I kind of, you know, carried that with me when I got to college. And this was after um, creating change. We 
had a speaker come to campus. The like college Republicans invited, um, her name was Sharice Trump. Now <laughs> she says that she's not related. Okay. But I don't know. She seems like she is. Uh, what an unfortunate <laughs> last name. It is a very unfortunate last name, but she has the exact same beliefs. Okay. Um, so high fortunate for her. Yeah. So they invite her to campus and some of her beliefs were that like, she didn't believe that non-binary students should be protected under title nine and, you know, just crazy things like that. Mm-hmm. So we got together with uh, other student leaders. I was in the student Senate. So, you know, there were a lot of student leaders on campus that have, you know, been dealing with these things since before I had gotten there. I was just a freshman. I don't been there for a few months. And basically we were like, let's do like a peaceful type thing. We'll sit in and then we'll go out and we'll, you know, wait for her to leave. So we go in and there were more people protesting against her than there were there to listen to her. So it was actually super funny because we took up the back three rows of the auditorium that we were in. And then we all had our signs and our posters and our flags and, you know, our shirts. So after about 40 minutes of her talking, we stood up and like had our flags and everything and we weren't going to like engage with her. And then we walked out and left like 10 people left in the room. And it was a very small school in upstate New York called SUNY Oswego that probably has like anywhere from like six to 10,000 people. Wait, I always thought it was pronounced Sunny. No. SUNY? SUNY. Um, the more you know. Yeah. <laughs> pretty small school and like, like pretty conservative, conservative I would say. The town itself isn't very big. Like the school was the town pretty much. What led you to choose to attend that Uh, Well, I was originally going for broadcast journalism before I switched to like, you know, public policy and politics and stuff. And, you know, Al Rilker went to that school. Okay. So they had a really good program. So I was like, you know, I had an end to that school. You know, one of my previous like teachers in high school were a professor there. So it was just like, it felt like a perfect opportunity for me to go there. Yeah. Um, I hated it pretty pretty much immediately. immediately. (laughs) And then... Why did you hate it? Well, I'm a very outgoing person. I like do well in big crowds and like I just it was it was way too small for me in the first place and then it was there was also like no gay people there so I didn't like that you know I didn't like the idea of not having like a queer community um there was one obviously but it wasn't very large um which is fine but I'm just someone that you know prefers like larger settings and I met some of my best friends there and I, you know, I, I'm grateful for that. And, you know, that's about it. But um, it was a very interesting time when I, when that protest was happening because I'd also held an elected position on campus. So in the beginning of the school year, I decided I was going to like run for this office. And so I ran for like the president position. I got elected. And then going into this college, everyone like knew who I was basically mm. because it was only an hour away from where I lived. Okay. So pretty much people that went there had probably seen some type of news article about me if they lived in the general area, but also the school social media manager like would come to events that I was at and like photograph me and like, Oh, look at the, like the cool things that this incoming freshman is doing. Like one time I dropped a puck at a hockey game for their like pride night. So, um, they came to this event and, you know, photographed me like on the ice, like dropping the puck and then posted on the, the social media. And so going there, like people knew who I was from that and just like from just other things. And I'd never been in a school setting where, you know, I was 
like excited to go into that setting Mm -hmm. because, you know, moving to New York, I knew absolutely no one. And so I was looking forward to like having a positive educational experience for once because obviously high school wasn't great. Middle school wasn't great. Elementary school was like whatever. So I was looking forward to, you know, a very positive experience when I got to college. Um, That didn't happen because with this elected position that I had, um, people didn't like that like I would leave campus often, like because you were I, so close, you lived so yeah, close. Yeah, I would go home pretty often, um, and people would you know comment or post on this app called Yik Yak, it's like an anonymous posting app. People would say that like I shouldn't like be in this position anymore because I leave all the time, which is like whatever, I don't really care. And then you know people got mad when I went to creating change because I was gone for like five days, and. That just kept happening, but then it turned into like more less about my position and more about like my sexuality. Mm. And people would start saying like, "Let's jump this FAG" or you know stuff like that. And then at one point, someone leaked my room number on that app, and someone slid a note under my door that said, "Watch out!" And there are no cameras in the hallway, so we have no idea who did it. And then it was pretty silent for a bit, other than like the anonymous postings okay. of people like complaining that I was leaving, but like. I'm not really sure what they expected. Like I felt unsafe. I didn't like the school. Like obviously I'm not going to stay somewhere that I don't want to, but it was kind of the point where I couldn't transfer yet. It was the middle of the semester. So I just kept leaving. And then the Sharice Trump stuff happened. We had that protest. And then that night I came back to my room after being at the protest all day and helping organize all of that. And someone slid a note under my door that said faggot. How'd that make you feel? It was very scary because... When the watch out note happened, I was like, okay, this is whatever. I didn't even report the watch out note because I was like, oh, it's probably just like a joke. Like there was, you know, no reason to like report it in that moment. But then it felt more as like a threat. Was it like the same handwriting? Do you think it was the same person? Yeah, it was. I feel feel like like it was probably probably the same person. Because like you posted these on your snap story. It It was was the same piece of paper. Yeah. It was the same piece of paper. Yeah. Yeah. I did report that one and I had like the university police come and, you know, like, you know, look at the note and all of this stuff. But ultimately the university police did absolutely nothing. Sounds about right. They, they said that there was an investigation, but I heard nothing. And then, um, the anonymous postings got worse. So I was like, I would be out in public and someone would be like, Oh, like he's here. Like, like Sarah was in public. I had to, I withdrew from like three of my classes so at this point, I wasn't even taking like the you know usual 12 credits. And then I finished the rest of my semester from home, came back one day for a final, and then that was it. And I transferred to my new campus. Well, I'm glad you got out because yeah. that's horrifying. It was scary. Well, to transition to politics and political figures, you had a little run in with Candace Owens. Yes, I did. A few months back. Uh, she was speaking at your university on behalf of Turning Point USA. I know you showed up to, to confront her essentially and, and have your voice heard. So walk us through the lead up to that event. And then that day, I saw that the event was announced and I was obviously like upset that it was happening. Uh, and so were other people because it's a really hard environment to live in when you're on a college campus and, you know, they promote themselves on inclusivity and, you know, accepting everyone. Um, but then they have to let someone like Candace Owens come to campus because otherwise they're like, you know, it's that organization that's hosting her's right to have her on campus. And they can't necessarily tell someone that they can't bring them there um, because then they're, you know, violating this or that. And so 
it's a very interesting space to navigate, I feel like, especially for queer students when like people like Candace Owens like directly harm us on a daily basis, especially on her podcast where she talks negatively about us like almost every episode. Um, so I was obviously upset and, you know, I shared that I was upset on social media and so did other people. And then leading up to the event, I was like thinking about what I was going to say, like if I was even going to go. And then, you know, I ended up, you know, reserving a ticket. Um, I did not have to pay for a ticket because you didn't have to. Thank God I would not have gone. I would not pay money to see that girl. <laughs> you could definitely tell who was there for Candace Owens and who was not there for Candace Owens. I went simply so that I could get up and say something. My question isn't specifically about anything you really said tonight, although I don't really agree with anything you said. Um, okay. I'm proudly part of the LGBTQ community. Uh, I've always stood up for my community whenever I needed to. Um, I want to focus specifically on, uh, I've been like listening to you for a little bit just to understand some things. Um, a, a live stream you did about Pride Month in June on Facebook because you were no longer allowed on YouTube. Um, the event that you were talking about, I actually had the honor of attending that event uh, with a lot of my really close friends. And I, I found it very perplexing to me how you choose to only focus on the things that are negative when it comes to the queer community. Um, Sorry, when it comes to what community? The queer community. Okay. I like, do you not realize that people like you and people like the people you're around and that, you know, continue to have this idea of us are the reason we feel that we have to be so openly proud of who we are? Your demented homophobic and, and transphobic rhetoric and rants just further prove our point that we have to fight loudly to be respected. The reason that LGBTQIA plus suicide rates are so high in this country isn't just because we're part of the community, it's because there are people like you who make us feel like we don't belong. The only LGBTQ agenda we have is Okay, is, it a, is there a question in there or a speech? Yes. You gotta ask a question, buddy. I how know you wrote you, out how, this out in your notes, but ask a question, let's how go. How do you and how do you think other people who, with your beliefs respond to the fact that your hateful and harmful rhetoric costs the lives of queer children every single day, on average, every 45 seconds. Okay, so this is just going to be a pure boogeyman. You're, you're pretending that someone committed suicide because of Candace Owens. You've got no facts here. You're just going, it's your rhetoric that's causing all of this. When in reality, you want to talk about the tea? Uh, I sat down with a man named Walt Heyer who was convinced to chop his penis off after your community told him that there was something wrong with him because he had confusion. Like, I didn't go up there because I knew I was going to change her mind. Mm -hmm. Like... I knew that what happened was going to happen, but like as I said in my um, like little speech to her is that you know I always stand up for my community when I feel that I need to, and I felt in that moment that I need to, and my mindset was kind of like, when am I going to be face to face with Candace Owens with the microphone in my hand again? Mm -hmm. Probably never, or at least not for a while. Mm -hmm. So I feel like I should say something now. I thought it was so interesting watching the video when you're asking him to just watch her face. And you can see just the gears turning in her head, trying to come up with what she's going to say and what her, yeah. her soundbite or what her little catchphrase is going to be. It was very interesting. And no, like, nowhere in my like speech did I mention, specifically mention like transitioning. Yeah. And her response flipped immediately into transitioning and only focused on one aspect of like the LGBTQ community. Mm -hmm. She knows what gets people... Yeah, the clips of that night have been going around everywhere on so many different accounts. Like the Joe Rogan Rewind, Rewind posted it, and there are other accounts on like Instagram and TikTok that have millions of views on these videos, some even millions of likes. There's a video of me on YouTube that has 15 million views. 
which is like pretty interesting. My my TikTok video itself had two million, but what's interesting is a lot of the videos leave my thing out. Some of them have it in, but some of them don't. And I think it's because like, honestly, they're kind of further proving my point. Like if you saw the comments of my TikTok video, a lot of them were really, really disgusting. There were very, very little positive comments. Um, she put me on her podcast the day after all of this happened. So I feel like, you know, people, her followers, like, saw me, found who I was, you know, put my name in a Twitter circle or something, and then I ended up on everyone's page. So now everyone was, like, flocking to my page, and I had 2 million views on my fo- on my video, and, like, 40,000 comments. But it was crazy, because so many of the comments, I was talking about, like, the statistics of, like, LGBTQ suicide, and people would comment, like, oh, you should be part of that statistic, or, like, really disgusting things. But they're honestly kind of proving my point when I go up and I say like people like you and people like who support you are the reason that, you know, people like me don't feel safe in environments or like you make people feel like they don't belong. Mm-hmm. And then like, she's like, no, I don't do that. And it's like, but you're literally, you are doing that. If you had the opportunity to say something to Candace Owens now, after all this, what would you say? It's a good question. I think that... The way I handled it before could have been handled a little bit better. Um, I think, I think the part that got you was the shirt. It was. It was. I wore a shirt that said F you on it. And uh, a lot of my comments were focused on that. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that, you know, going about it in a more, like, professional, productive way, um, you know, by just, like, straight up saying, like, no matter what joke she makes or no matter, like, what comments she has or what statistics she mocks, like there are real human people like behind those words and her words don't just go away. Like they, they linger and they continue to harm people who, you know, are part of the community or, you know, or they actually like get people who hate the community more enraged and, you know, like continue fighting against us. Sharing her with her, like the message that, you know, basically what I said, but in a way that, really outlines how dangerous what she's saying is not just because like it makes people feel unsafe, but because it it genuinely is harmful like to society and like me being outspoken about who I am isn't me trying to like push myself on someone else or me trying to like discredit your traditions that you stand yourself around. It's basically me just trying to put myself in a space where I can openly love who I want to love and be comfortable with who I am in a space where everyone wants to be the same. Yeah, what you do and what Andrew does, it helps counteract that hatred that so many see from those far-right figures or Fox News, etc., that that shove down this hatred. Because while maybe some middle schooler or elementary school kid is not going to directly receive that message, their parents are, and that's going to trickle down and and target those kids who are insecure with their identity and don't feel like they belong. It's going to it's gonna hurt them the most in the end. It makes me think of like GLAD's Accelerating Acceptance Survey that was re- released this past year said that only 30% of Americans have ever met a transgender person. So for 70% of Americans that have never met a transgender person, they're getting their information of like what entails the entire life of someone Mm -hmm. from people like Candace Owens. So as difficult as it may be for like when you went and you spoke out against her at that event, sometimes 
going to the places of our opposition and standing up like in their face is the only way that you can speak to all of those people that will never meet someone like us. It's definitely hard to do that. I think I used to not be someone who would put myself in uncomfortable situations. I was someone that internalized everything around me and it's interesting to me that I've gotten to a place where I can like go into a space where I know that pretty much everyone in that room disagrees with who I am as a human being and like literally thinks that I don't deserve the same things that they do and just like standing up in front of all of them with a microphone and like saying how harmful that ideology is. And, but I think it's so important to do just that, but it's hard too. like, I don't discredit anyone who can't do that because it's, it is a very difficult thing to do. Do you um, each have advice on doing so and embracing the uncomfortable? I think that this is something I say often that there's a time and place for everything. Mm-hmm. And that like, for me, I'm the type of person that I like, if it's not a 100% yes, like in my gut, then it's a hundred percent. Like if something just feels a little bit off or like mm-hmm. I shouldn't, it's, I feel like I ignore that often and I end up regretting it. Yeah. But not everyone has like that type of intuition, but everyone does have something that they can listen to, whether it's a voice inside or they're like someone they look up to, but having someone or something to guide you and not putting yourself in a situation that the bad or the harm, potential harm of it outweighs the potential good of it. I think that's super important. I think also just like knowing you're safe in the environment you're going to be doing it in. Um, because there's always that chance that like something could go wrong. Pretty sure someone who spoke at that Candace Owens event was literally swung at like by an audience member. So like if you're going to go up and, you know, do something like make sure you're safe. And also Make sure that you're in a position personally where you're going to be able to take what's coming afterwards. For me, it's not my first time that I've been, you know, ridiculed on social media or told like really negative things about myself or told to do super harmful things to myself. So I think just knowing that, knowing what your limits are and knowing that you can take what's more than likely about to be thrown at you. So I posted on the podcast Instagram asking our followers to send in questions and potential topics for us to discuss and got a handful of different ones that we'd love to get your thoughts on. So first off here, um, you can both answer. How can we best get young people to vote in all elections? So off year, primaries, etc. I think it's important that um, young people realize the importance of local elections because I think that's very often overlooked. A lot of young people don't realize that local elections have more of an impact on their everyday lives than you know, a larger election like the presidential election. Um, so focusing on that, but also like, social media has become a great outlet for politics. Obviously there's positives and negatives, but I think like candidates utilizing social media in ways that you know really engages young voters has shown to be pretty successful. I think it's a vital part of our democracy which sounds like cliche when I say it out loud, out loud, but local elections are equally important as national elections, as um, statewide ballot initiatives. And a lot of young people fail to recognize that, oh, my one vote doesn't matter when there's however many million people or in a local election, like thousands of people. But 
when one person does something, kind of like Tyler, your story in high school, it's a catalyst for change. Mm-hmm. When you do, if there's an issue or a candidate or a topic that you're passionate about, going out and making a plan to vote, making sure that you're registered, sharing with other people how to register, what the dates are, what's on the ballot, why mm-hmm. it's important. You are that catalyst for change. Mm-hmm. So your vote is going to inspire other people to vote and be educated on why they're voting. Because if only one party has the majority of people going to vote, that's not a democracy. Mm-hmm. That's an lopsided republic. Yeah. And I think if you're a young person who like is already involved in politics, like making sure that you're getting the people around you that are the same age as you or even younger than you also involved. There's like idea now that I think people try to stray away from politics because all of the drama that's in it and like, you know, on college campuses specifically, like students don't want to be actively engaged because then people think they're just like this political junkie that's going to fight with them if they bring up a, a position that they don't stand for. But it's not even just about that. Like it's just making sure your friends are registered to vote, making sure they're voting and making sure that they're educated on, you know, the things that they should be educated on. Andrew, do you blame any one of your exes for what happened at ORU? Absolutely not. Um, I don't blame anyone for what happened at ORU because what happened at ORU was the result of an unjust system, like using religion and tax money as an excuse to discriminate against me on the basis of I like sexual orientation and who I loved. Um, and the relationship with that, that I had with that person is something like with most relationships like that I've had, it was a huge learning experience. Um, not only just in like how relationships work and those dynamics, which is like a whole nother conversation, but it was a learning experience in how to be the most authentic version of myself. Mm-hmm. Because at that university, like I was forced to hide who I was and slowly but surely I got more comfortable and like, letting my partner come onto campus and visit me. Um, And that was something that I was like ready to do then. Whereas like in the opposite, it was a relationship where like, I remember like wanting to post on like my Snapchat or on my Instagram story or like tell friends and they were still in the closet. So it wasn't an appropriate thing to do or they said like not to do it. So that was hard. Um, But to answer the question, absolutely not. I do not blame anyone. I'm, if anything, thankful. Yeah, because it it was the spark that made me realize, like, wow, this isn't okay. And there is, like, a life beyond having to live in the shadows and, like, having to succumb to the oppression that, like, I grew up so familiar with. Mm -hmm. So I'm grateful. Yeah. So my last question here, and this is for you, Tyler, because Andrew's answered this question already, but this is how I like to end every episode. If you had to look back at the version of yourself, maybe when you were in West Virginia or before um, you really gained that courage to make your voice heard when you came out, what advice would you give to him? I would say to not let people walk all over you or, or to not let everything that's said, like, sink so deeply inside because I was always someone that really internalized almost everything negative that was said about whether it be the queer community or whether just like just myself in general. Like Mm -hmm. I grew up being bullied like a lot of my, you know, childhood and I took all of that in. So 
kind of growing that thicker skin that I have now earlier and realizing that it is okay to be who you are, no matter how old you are, no matter where you're from. Um, and living by like kind of what I live by now, but at an earlier age of like, it's not about what happens to you that matters, but how you choose to respond to it. That's great advice. Thank you, Tyler. And thank you, Andrew, for being here today. Do you guys want to each give everyone your socials so they can follow you? I'm at Andrew Hartzler on Instagram and TikTok and at Andy Hartzler on Twitter or X. I'm at Tyler A.Y. Johnson on every platform. Okay, well, you guys can follow us on Instagram at UnpackedTHT and on TikTok at UnpackedThatPod. We'll see you guys right back here every other Thursday. Bye, everyone.